0: Welcome to Calvary Chapter Elizabeth City's online sermon series. Join us this week for Colossians chapter 2, verses 1 through 7, with Pastor John King. Good morning, everybody. Well, we're going to come back into Colossians. We're going to start chapter 2 today, and we're going to cover Colossians 2, verses 1 through 7. Um, I think there's still a couple of notebooks left back there, maybe not, um, but if you have your little devotional, your little Bible uh, handbooks. Um, we'll have some, some things to note today. While we're getting over to that point in Scripture, we're just going to take a real quick, we had a little a week break. Thank you for Pastor John for giving me some time off. He did a great job teaching last Sunday, and I appreciate having a little bit of time off. But it's great to be back as well. When we left off, Paul was describing his ministry message and his method because he was committed to proclaiming Christ and making disciples. And if you can just look and see in verses 28 and 29 of chapter 1, he says, him we preach warning every man and teaching every man in all wisdom that we may present every man perfect in Christ Jesus. To this end I also labor, striving according to His working, which works in me mightily. So he has that message, the same message that we have. We preach Christ and the good news of the Gospel. And so he's doing that. And he also has a method. He does it with admonishment and teaching. He says, notice, warning every man and teaching every man in wisdom, both in and out of the local assembly. Paul was well aware of the slick methods of the false teachers with their special knowledge. And we're going to really get into that this, uh, this week, uh, their, their, uh, their shenanigans. It was only uh, special knowledge, if you know anything about cults or offshoots, or weird belief systems. They have special knowledge that's only available to the enlightened, to the special spiritual elite. And so Paul counters that with the fact that the gospel is available to everyone. You don't have to be some special secret person to come to know Christ as your Lord and Savior. But also everyone is responsible to learn and grow in their faith. So he has his message, he has his method, and notice he talks about the the purpose, spiritual maturity. We will cover that today as well, making progress as Christians. And he's looking for a hundred percent participation, notice. He says, I want to present that we, those who labor in the gospel, that we may pre- present every man perfect. Like a hundred percent. He's not like, oh, you know, some will and some won't. He's got the attitude of, hey, I want to reach everyone for Christ. And he wants to see them full grown and spiritually mature. And so Paul is committed to this hundred percent. But notice he does it. He works hard. He says, he says, I, I bring everyone, I want to do it hundred percent, but I'm striving according to His working which works in me mightily. So He's coupling the two things. It's, it's hard work to study the Word, to teach the Word, to preach the Word, to go out and share the Word. And so it's not something you can just sit, you know, on back and go, oh Lord, you know, I, I just, you're going to give me the right words. Now I, I know there's a place for the work of the Holy Spirit when we're going to have a faith encounter with somebody. I'm not denying that. But notice that Paul says he really worked hard for this. And working hard means he's, he's in prayer. He knows what he's wanting to say. He knows his message. But he doesn't take the credit. You have to understand. He says, according to his working, which works in me mightily. So the combination is Christ's power energizing Paul's intense labor. And so you know, sometimes I think we have a, a, the wrong impression about that. But we do need to remember, and this is sort of a Calvary Chapel distinctive, if you will, uh, Zechariah 4.6. It says that to, 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 excuse me, to Zerubbabel, this is the word of the Lord to Zerubbabel, not by po- might, not by power, but by my spirit, says the Lord of hosts. So we can never embark on a spiritual venture, a venture of faith, a journey, whatever the Lord calls us, a witnessing encounter. We should never want to do that without the power of the Holy Spirit, which is why we always want to be being filled with the Holy Spirit. Asking God, fill me with the Holy Spirit, Lord. Fill me fresh and fill me new, as we sang this morning. Use me, mold me, and shape me. And so he's there to answer that prayer. Now today we're going to pick up in chapter 2 with a look at Paul's very specific ministry to the local church. But it's, it's common, it's typical for what we should see in churches. He's going to address Colossae and another church called Laodicea, which you may have heard of. Now obviously Paul cannot be present with these folks because he's in jail, he's in prison. But that in no way hinders what he prays for. And so what he wants them to know. So not only what he's praying for, but also what he wants them to know. And so he writes, and look at our verse for today, chapter 2, verse 1. He says, For I want you to know what a great conflict I have for you and those in Laodicea. And for as many as have not seen my face in the flesh, that their hearts may be encouraged, being knit together in love and attaining all riches of the full assurance of understanding to the knowledge of the mystery of God, both of the Father and of Christ, in whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. Now this I say, lest anyone should deceive you with persuasive words. For though I am absent in the flesh, yet I am with you in the Spirit, rejoicing to see your good order and the steadfastness of your faith in Christ. As you therefore have received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in Him rooted and built up in him and established in the faith, as you have been taught, abounding in it with thanksgiving. And so, Lord, we, uh, we come once again to receive your instruction, Lord, and just to be encouraged and strengthened in our walk with you. Lord, we, we want to stick with the plan, the plan that you've laid out before us. And so, Lord, we ask that you would help us to do that today in our understanding, that it may translate to application in our lives. We love you, Lord. We thank you once again for just being here with us, and that we can be together on this beautiful day. Go before these words. May it be from you and not me. I pray this in Jesus' name, and all God's people said, Amen. Amen. So Paul's ministry to the local church, he sa- it was a ministry, notice, first off, it was a ministry of deep concern for the people of Christ deep concern. He says, I want you to know what a great conflict I have for you and those in Laodicea. That word conflict speaks of a spiritual warfare. It's the Greek word for agon or where we get our English word agonizing. It's an athletic term derived from the Greek Olympic Games. Paul, he would do that often to be you know, uh, in tune with the culture there. He would relate to them in a way. The Greeks were big sports fans, kind of like us in America. Well, some of us anyway. They were huge Olympic fans. And so, you know, he says, I'm going through this intense anxiety for you. You know, you guys, some of you may be old enough to recall the old slogan from ABC's wide world of sports, the thrill of victory and the agony of defeat. And then you see that guy going down. He was the ski jumper, right? And he falls off the end of the ramp, and he he ends up in a pile of snow. And poor guy, he got famous. What a way to get famous, huh? (laughs) But it's, it was, it's, he, so Paul, he's sitting in this jail, and he's agonizing for these people in his prayers. And he's letting them know he's never met any of them, except for uh, the leader, the pastor there, Epaphras, and one other. And so he says, I agonize for you and for those in Laodicea. Now that's interesting. You might want to open your Bibles and see your Bible map in the back of your Bible. And you'll notice that in Southwest modern day Turkey, you have the seven churches of Revelation in there. And Laodicea is one of the famous seven churches. It was a city in Phrygia located on the river Lycus. It was not far from Colossae. When you look at your map, it's almost like they're adjoining cities. It was at the seat of the Christian church. It was destroyed by an earthquake in 66 AD, and it was rebuilt by the Emperor Marcus Aurelius. It was the seat. It was also, as I said in Revelation 111, it was one of the seven churches to receive the revelation of Jesus Christ. The letter dictated to John the Apostle while he was exiled in the island of Patmos. So we, as you keep reading through the Bible, you're going to see a lot more about Laodicea in church. And he says also, he, he doesn't, he's not just to them. He says, and for as many as have not seen my face in the flesh. For those, NIV would say, and for all who have not met me personally. Now Paul is not only addressing the believers in those two cities and all the in that current time, he's addressing us today, right now. He's he's speaking to you and I. Now he's in jail. He's never been to their city or their fellowship, but he knows their pastor, Epaphras, and he knows their vulnerability to the false teaching, and he knows his calling as an apostle. He is God's chosen instrument to bring the gospel to the Gentiles. You see that in Acts nine. He knows also what it's like to be persecuted. And this brings him a deep concern, intense anxiety for the faithful brothers and sisters in the Lord. Not only was it a ministry of deep concern for the people of Christ, but it was a ministry of prayer and teaching the sufficiency of Christ, which is the main theme of this letter to the Colossians. The sufficiency of Christ. How do you answer the false teaching that wants to add things which may agree, oh, Jesus is a good starting point, but you need to add all these other things to your belief system to be complete and whole, is what the false teachers would say. And Paul would say, no, no, no. The Lord Jesus is more than sufficient. We've covered all that. He holds all things together. He created all things. He was uncreated. He was before the earth. He, you know, he everything. He was fully God, fully man. All the mysteries that we sometimes can have a hard time grasping. He is all those things. And he is fully sufficient for all things. For the Christian, for the believer. And he's praying. He notices prayer. He says that their hearts may be encouraged. Be, be, knit together in love, and that they would attain to all the riches of the full assurance of understanding. That's not a typical prayer that you and I prayed, is it? We, we, we don't typically come to the Lord with those kind of prayers for others. But look what he's asking. Probably the best prayer you could ever pray for somebody, if you think about it. Now, this might be a good place to take notes. There's four things we need to know about this particular prayer. It says, first of all, the first thing we need to know is that the sufficiency of Christ brings comfort and encouragement. The sufficiency of Christ brings comfort and encouragement. How do we draw comfort? Well, first of all, knowing that we have Jesus as our advocate, our sins are forgiven. He stands in our place. He took our sins on the cross. We will not have to answer to God for our sins because Jesus is our advocate. So that's comforting to know, isn't it? How else are we comforted? Well, the Holy Spirit is our helper and He dwells within us, the parakletos. And you know what else is comforting about that? The fact, of course, that our sins are forgiven through Christ. And the fact that the Holy Spirit lives within us. Is that both God the Father, excuse me, God the Son and God the Holy Spirit pray for us in intercession. You know, our bodies are weak. We, we may feel like praying some days. Some days we are not able to pray for whatever reason. In 1 John 2.1, he wrote, My little children, these things I write to you, so that you may not sin. If anyone sins, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous. He's our advocate. Romans eight twenty seven and verse 34 of chapter 8 says, Now he who searches the hearts knows what the mind of the Spirit is, because he makes intercession for the saints according to the will of God. Who is he who condemns? It is Christ who died and furthermore is also risen. Who is even at the right hand of God and also makes intercession for us. Right at this present moment. God the Father, God the Son is sitting beside the Father. God the Holy Spirit present within us. And they are praying for us. They are interceding on our behalf. Everything that we go through. And we come to Him as children and we receive that. But we forget because as children in the faith, as spiritual children, we lose sight. We just, we only see the problem that's right before us. The thing that's bothering the most. But He sees and He goes before us. So the first, the sufficiency of Christ brings comfort and encouragement. Second, the sufficiency of Christ brings unity and love. Unity and love. To join together in love. This is agape love. Now, as a mature Christian, here's what you will do. You will look to love others in our fellowship. You will look to be a peacemaker when it's necessary. You will not want to be a fault finder because you want to be a mature Christian. And folks, the sad fact is that most division within the church is not from apostasy and false teaching. It's called, it's from selfish and immature believers. And that's why we teach the Word of God. That's why we bring the Word of God here, so that we can all grow fully and mature in Him. How are we being knit together? Well, look around you. Look around you. God is there. where you guys wouldn't have joined together for anything unless you're family members, right? Blood relatives for a family reunion. You took the time to come out here on Sunday morning. The Lord is building His house. He's, he's building His church, Ephesians four sixteen. He says, from the whole body joined and knit together by what every joint supplies, according to the effective working by which every part does its share. And it causes growth of the body for the edifying of itself in love. All the work that's being done, the VBS event that we're going to have this week, all the people that took time off to come decorate, Those who came and cleaned the building and prepared some, you know, the music, the music ministry, everything we do, you've come together as joints. You're joined together, everybody doing their part. It's a beautiful thing, and that's only what the Lord can do. Now we're going to learn in chapter 2, verse 19, probably next week, that only God can grow His church. There's a lot of methods out there, but only God can grow His church. And so we are in some ways, like spectators. That was something that Pastor Chuck would say for, for a long time. He, he couldn't believe this great big Calvary movement that grew up out there in Southern California and all the hippies getting saved. And he always oftentimes reflected on the fact that he was feeling like he was a spectator. Now, in case you think I knew him personally, I did not. I've read a lot of his writings. I did meet him one time. But when you see God at work and you realize, you know, for no other reason could this particular thing happen, whether it's gathering, people coming and growing in the Lord, getting saved, getting baptized, you realize, wow, Lord, this is amazing. It's an amazing thing to watch. But we also know, folks, that people can be unified for many other reasons. People can be unified under false teaching. They can come for a false pretense. They can join up with man-made social causes. And of course, we know politics. And these things have become religion for many. Environmental justice, social justice, those who advocate and ally for sexual sin, abortion, and human trafficking. Did you happen to notice the reaction to the recent movie, Sound of Freedom? Did you happen to know that? I mean, who would have ever thought that a movie, a documentary, kind of a dramatic presentation of true events concerning human trafficking, would you ever have imagined that there would people that would raise issue with something that's trying to bring light, something evil that's taking place in this world? And people would come against that and they would lie and speak against it. Not to mention the fact that they withheld that movie for five years. That tells you something about our society. But that's, that's the case in the world we're in. And of course, with all of that going on, now we know why Paul had to strive to get the gospel out. Because the enemy works against it all the time. And so do we, friends. We need to strive to get the gospel out under the power of the Holy Spirit. So we saw that the sufficiency of Christ brings comfort and encouragement. Sufficiency of Christ brings unity and love. And of course, this also, excuse me, the, the sufficiency of Christ brings the experience of full assurance. The experience of full assurance. Knowing what you already have in Christ is so much more valuable than everything you might think you're missing. Knowing what you have in Christ. And a lot of times that's where we fall short. We forget what we have in the Lord. The fullness of the sufficiency, this this experience. We, We neglect to be able to experience that full assurance. Full assurance means most certain confidence... It's it's also in a Christian sense enlightenment. NIV says that they may have the full riches of complete understanding. I like what Warren, Warren Wiersbe wrote about this. He said the mature believer has assurance in his heart that he is a child of God. The spiritual knowledge that he has in Christ constantly enlightens him and directs him daily. And he says this, I have often counseled believers who told me they lacked assurance of their salvation. Invariably, they have been neglecting God's Word and living in ignorance. Again, this is why we teach God's Word. This is why God wants us to teach God's Word to His people. Is so that we won't be ignorant of His ways. Of course, this is not the enlightenment of Buddhism, you know, this action or state of attaining a special spiritual knowledge. Uh, that you can eventually be freed from the cycle of reincarnation. That's not what we're talking about with enlightenment. We're not talking about enlightenment of an intellectual movement that took place and shaped our culture back in the 17th and 18th centuries. And they emphasize reason and individualism. That's not the kind of enlightenment we're talking about. We're talking about the knowledge of the mystery of God, both of the Father and of Christ is what Paul says. Remember the word knowledge. We have different words in the Greek for knowledge. This particular use of the word knowledge comes under the Greek term epignosis. Epignosis is precise and correct and full and thorough knowledge. And it's used in the New Testament of the knowledge of things ethical and divine. It pertains to God. It pertains to God. And this is opposed to the gnosis gnosis of the mystery religions. We mentioned a couple weeks back about the Gnostics, the mystery cults that were there in that day. They came into the church to try and basically lead people astray from the gospel. A mystery to them was a secret ritual that supposedly established a relationship with a God and resulted in perceived benefits such as immortality. The Colossians likely knew of such teachings from their culture. And so Paul uses the term mystery to refer to Christ, who reveals and fulfills God's plan of salvation. The mystery that had been, you know, part of something God had not yet revealed prior to this time in history, was the fact that God was going to include Jews and Gentiles together to form His church. That was a mystery to the Old Testament prophets and teachers, and to the world. And so if you want to talk about mystery, the fact is that Jesus has brought together His church and He has a plan. It's now been revealed. So it's no longer a mystery. One writer said this, God wants His children to have understanding and wisdom and knowledge. The word translated understanding literally means to place together. It is the ability to assess things. Wisdom implies the ability to defend what we understand. Knowledge suggests the ability to grasp truth. All of these terms were also used by the false teachers, the Gnostics. So you see why Paul is using the type of language he's using is because he's refuting this false teaching. Fourth, the sufficiency of Christ means in Him all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge are found. Like you talk about these ideas and this wisdom. Well, here they are, right there in front of you. Jesus Christ and Him crucified. That's where all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge are found. You don't have to look to some mystic. You don't have to get up on some high mountain. You don't have to go off on some spiritual retreat that, you know, leads you to chant things over and over again. Whatever it is. And God forbid you'd go into whatever the world the the devil wants to invite you in with drugs and alcohol and success. Because it won't solve what you really need. In Christ, we are full. We have sufficiency in Jesus. And all treasures of wisdom and knowledge are found in that. The fact that Jesus Christ and His Word and the power of the Holy Spirit to give us understanding is present with us. It says in Him, they're hidden. Not hidden so you can't see them, because if you're a believer, you're going to see it. You're going to understand it. It's stored up for you. This supreme intelligence, which only belongs to God, Paul says, in Christ himself, in whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. Now, why is Paul so adamant? Well, because they're a young church, and they're very susceptible to false teaching. These are the early days of the church. Not to say that you can't be susceptible to that. He was concerned about their minds, their hearts, and their love for one another. The very basic essence of who we are. And you could ask yourself the question, could this same prayer be used today? Is this the type of thing we could be praying for others, even those we don't know? I mean, how do you react to those who uh, you may be hearing about other Christians who you've never met? You know, we talk about the wall of our our missionaries out there. Some of you, you've never met, and you've certainly most likely never met the people that they minister to. And so I would challenge you and I would challenge me, are we listening to God's voice for how we should pray for those who we've never met, those Christians? Are we willing to actually wrestle in prayer as Paul did? Let's look back briefly. Let's look at what Paul has just said. He's talking about the knowledge of Christ, the full riches, the complete understanding, the, the assurance, the encouragement, and the wisdom of God. All of this, he says in verse 2, is being knit together through love. Our true fellowship and love for one another increases our depth of understanding of Christ and the Father. You may think that I can just stay away from church on a regular back and make a regular habit of not attending church or not going at all. And that you can spend time with the Lord and your Bible and you can come closer to God than you're ever going to be with a bunch of Christians. And Paul would say, no, you're being knit together in love. You're learning more about Jesus together. And it's not because I'm a pastor, and I want to see some kind of pastoral success. It's what the Word of God says. Our true fellowship and love for one another increases our depth of understanding of Christ and the Father. It doesn't diminish it. You cannot know or experience fully the love of God and all the riches He has for you apart from fellowship. Unless God has placed you in a place where he's, he, you're isolated. He's put you in prison. He's put you in a place where there are no people around. But for most people, for most Christians, we really have no excuse for not being in fellowship with one another. Hughes writes this. He says, no intellectual process will lead to a full grasp of the mystery of Christ unless it is accompanied by a love for Him and for Christians that knit us the church together in love. We cannot pursue knowledge of God in willful, unloving isolation by rejecting fellowship with others. Historically, some have tried and have suffered incomplete or even distorted understanding. Complete understanding of the mystery comes in a loving community. When you meet somebody who's kind of, maybe they claim to be a Christian, but they seem to have gone off the rails. They seem to be, quite frankly, sort of weird. The problem is, is because they've decided that they're going to isolate themselves from the body of Christ, and that God's going to speak to them, and He's going to speak to them in only a special way. Sometimes these folks come under the influence of cult leaders. And that's why Paul is so adamant about love together. Sticking together and sticking with the plan, which is found in His Word. Amen. And so he goes on in verses 4 and 5. He wants to give them a warning against error. I mean, why has he said all these things? He said all these things because without them, it would be easy for them to be led astray. And so he says, explains it right there in verse 4. He says, now this I say, lest anyone should deceive you with persuasive words. Someone deceiving you. The Greek word is means to beguile. If you have a King James Version, excuse me, it's to deceive by false reasoning. And they have the ability to use persuasive words, enticing words. Now to have these enticing words, you have to be somewhat gifted or skilled at leading people astray. You have to be able to speak things that seem to be plausible but they're actually wrong. You can create a discourse that leads others into error. And you see that constantly in our media environment, whether it's a YouTube commander or it's a, you know a, a political figure in our society. They have the ability to use persuasive words to get people to follow them and to believe them. But here, we, we sit here with the Word of God open and we're teaching. You know, I'm, I'm, yeah, I'm doing all the talking. I understand that. But I'm only speaking for what God has to say. And you guys are here and you have the Holy Spirit to correct anything. If I say something wrong, I know, I trust the Lord's going to come speak through you to me. If I try to speak in error about God's Word and the nature of God and who He, who he is and what He's saying. But these ancient philosophers, in Paul's day, they used lofty arguments to persuade their audiences. And Paul warns them that such teachings may appear to be logical, but their conclusions are false. Paul as again, in verses 1 through 3, he's given them several examples of why Christ is totally sufficient for their needs encouragement, assurance of salvation, unity, wisdom, and knowledge. Here he explains why he said what he said. And that's because there's some very slick teachers out there who spoke deception through the power of Satan. And when the tribulation comes upon our earth and the the man of lawlessness is revealed, you think, you talk about a slick-tongued devil, he's going to be the one. And he will lead millions and millions and millions astray. But also, not only was he saying this so that he could warn them about deception, but he also wanted to make sure to let them know that he was joining in their joyous fellow. He almost, it's like he goes from one extreme to the other. In verse 5, he says, for though I am absent in the flesh, yet I am with you in the spirit, rejoicing to see your good order and the steadfastness of your faith in Christ. Paul hears about the good things that are going on in that church. And he uses a couple of military terms. You know, they, they stand in good order. And they're steadfast. And he's cheering them on. He's like, you guys are, you know, he's like, you go Colossians. You are standing against the false teaching. And that happens all around. You know, we, we sometimes we think that the church is in an utter destroyed mess. And it's not. It's, it's rough in some places. Sure there's a lot of crazy stuff out there in Christianity. But the angels in heaven are watching. And they, they're the ones that are witnesses to the things that we do that were we're faithful. And it, it amazes them. And so if the Apostle Paul were alive today, and he saw what was going on in the church, he could say that to anyone. He says, I'm with you in spirit. The fact that you're holding to the truth, that you're holding fast, that you're holding the line in an orderly condition you're firm and you're solid. So Paul is cheering them on. Now you think about all the technological information. The age of deception is presently available to us. I mean in those days they had to have a physical presence or they'd have to write some very convincing letters and and the Greek society was very big into sophistry and and. Uh, The other uh, sort of speaking tricks that they can use to trick people, rhetoric. So they had to be physically present to usually give out their message. But we don't need actual physical presence, do we, for false teachers to come into, even into our hearts and our, our homes and our fellowships. They have more ways to reach than ever. You have the internet, you've got the school system now, you got social media, you got government overreach. Those are the things that are happening. They get, they can come in all different places now, this false teaching. And so what is our response? Well, our number one response, folks, needs to be that we would go deep and grow in the knowledge of Christ and have love love among us. You know, it's not, it's nothing more simple than that that we would go deep into God's Word, that we would continue to grow in the Lord, and that we would have love among us. That's what knits us together. Of course, we want to be engaged within the culture. After all, we've been put in a free country. We have the ability to exercise our rights as citizens of our country. So it's not like we're going to all huddle off into some mountaintop communal experience. All of you are out in society in one place or another representing Jesus. So we want to be engaged within the culture. We even want to speak up loudly about the social ills and the wickedness. And we want to stand strong in preserving our nation's founding principles. Yes, we do. But first and foremost, first and foremost is Jesus. You're treading on thin ice when you think you're just going to join some crowd or join some movement that's going to solve all the uh, social ills if if you're not grounded in Christ. The power. We talked about the power of prayer this morning. Miss Carolyn gave a testimony of that. Are we praying for our nation? Are we praying for our leaders? Next, he says in our our final section of today, he says, you are complete in Christ. This is verses 6 and 7. You are complete in Christ, so now you need to continue as you started. In other words, stick to the plan. How many times have you had to say that, parents? (laughs) We're going to stick to the plan. <laughs> we're going to move forward. This is, this is where our vacation's taking us. <laughs> uh, we're we're going we're to meet outdoors. This, uh, nope, we're going to meet indoors. Sorry. We didn't stick to the plan this week. I've had more thankfuls thanks for that than I have disappointments. though. <laughs> Which tells me maybe it wasn't such a grand plan after all. I don't know. But you are complete in Christ and you, are, you and I are to continue as you started. you remember when you got saved and you couldn't say enough about Jesus to your friends and neighbors and your family members? you remember when you came to know the Lord? You couldn't shut up. You couldn't stop reading God's Word. Uh, unfortunately, as we get older, we get tired. Our bodies give up. We have disappointments. We have church issues sometimes that can derail us and our enthusiasm. But we are already complete in Christ, and that doesn't mean we can just sit back on our laurels, if you will. No, we need to continue as we started and stick to the plan. And so he says, As you have received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in him. In other words, by faith you received him, and by faith you were to walk in him. Similar to what we learned in the book of Galatians. Now this is more than simply accepting Him intellectually, but this is receiving Him in His fullness. And this is, this is important for us when you break down who He is. And Paul says, he, he this is how he, he, he said, he presents Jesus to us. He presents Jesus to us as Christ, Jesus, the Lord. Christ, Jesus, the Lord. Christ, Jesus, or Christ, the anointed, the Messiah, the Son of God. It's used 569 times in the King James Version. Who do I say, who do you say that I am? Jesus asked in Matthew 16, 16. And Simon Peter answered to him, he says, you are the Christ, the anointed, the Messiah, the Son of the living God. So here we have Christ and we have Jesus, which is a Greek word for the Hebrew name Yeshua or Joshua, which means the Lord of salvation. So the anointed Messiah, the Son of God, the Lord of salvation, or the Lord is salvation. He is salvation. He embodies salvation. Acts 4.12, nor is there any salvation, or nor is there salvation in any other, for there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. That's the Jesus Christ that's being presented. Christ Jesus. And of course, the Lord, Christ Jesus, the Lord, the anointed one, the Messiah, the Lord of salvation, and the Lord Himself. He is the one, Kyrios, He is the one who is exalted. He is the one who we worship. He is majesty to us. And so, therefore, since you received the anointed Messiah, the Lord of salvation, the Lord, he says, walk in Him. Walk in Him. To live a life and conduct ourselves as Christians. Colossians 1.10, early on in the, in the letter, he says that you may walk worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing Him, being fruitful of every good work and increasing in the knowledge of God. So Paul is writing to strengthen this church who is being taken advantage of. And they're doing a good job. They're holding up to Him. They're standing up to Him. He cheers them on, but He keeps reminding them. He's telling them, and He's telling us that when they received Christ, they trusted His righteousness and the death to cover his sin, their sins and to make them acceptable to God. That's simply what happened. You trusted in Jesus' right, righteousness and His death that made you and I acceptable to God. And as Christians, we much see our need to move forward. Why is that? Why do we keep, you know, the Bible is, is repetitive in many ways. That's why some people, they get tired of the repetition and they want to come away from the Bible and, and create a different kind of church. But why do you need to be reminded? Why do I need to be reminded? The fact of the matter is, is you're never really standing still in your faith. You're never really standing still. You think, oh, "I'm," you know, I mean, you may have a, an easy day. Okay, we all know that. But you're never really standing still in your faith. You're either growing and maturing or you're slowly slipping backwards. And some of you can testify to that. Some of your testimonies, part of my testimony is how I slowly slipped backwards for 20 plus years after surrendering my life to Christ. And I reached a point where I didn't know if I was saved or not. I had no clue. And you couldn't tell a single thing that I was a Jesus follower by the life that I lived. So you're either growing or maturing, or you're going to be slowly fading and backsliding. And so the question is, is do you and do I want to be safe from this spiritual seduction, this false teachers, apostasy? And the answer, of course, is, of course I do. Well, of course I do. I want to be safe from that. Well, Paul gives us a simple plan. Walk in Him. Stick to the plan, just as you did when you accepted Him by faith. He says, established in the faith as you were instructed. And what will will happen in verse 7, you will become rooted and built up in Him and established in the faith. You're going to be yeah, sort of like a tree, okay? You know how a strong tree is. His roots are dug deep and wide. You're not constantly being dug up and transplanted. Now, you may be moving. I get that part. But your faith in Christ is what I'm talking about. You're, you're planted. You put down spiritual roots so you can grow tall and strong in your faith. And the rich soil is Jesus Himself. And so you're rooted and grounded. You're firmly planted and established John 15, 1 through 4, Jesus said this, I am the true vine, and my father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away, and every branch that bears fruit, he prunes that it may bear fruit, more fruit. You are already clean because of the word which I have spoken to you. And then he says, this is where our roots go deep. Abide in me and I in you, as the branch cannot bear fruit of itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. So like a strong tree, and also he says built up to be built on like a strong building. So our faith as we grow, we become built on that foundation as you see in Ephesians 2.20. We're built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets and Jesus Christ himself being the chief cornerstone. And he says, do this as you have been taught. In other words, you've been given instruction by your pastor, Epaphras. He says, he's basically saying, keep going. But when when the church, the progressive church or the liberal church says, they think that they can kind of grow out of these basic truths, they join forces with our post-Christian and pagan society. That's what happens. You and I are eyewitnesses to the crumbling of a society that was once founded on biblical principles, and you are seeing it everywhere. But when we study the Word of God, and when we apply its principles, we become more firmly established in our faith, and we grow stronger. If, if we're tired of hearing that message, I don't apologize. And so coming through that, we abound in it with thanksgiving. You know, as a result of that, as a result of our growing in the Lord and seeing our sufficiency in Christ, we have a reason. To excel in our Thanksgiving, overflowing like a river, a thankful heart, it's another mark of maturity in the Lord. And when we see that happening, when we're joyful, and we're not always downcast, oh, I'm a Christian and society hates me, we're not like that. We're joyful. I'm not your hater, no, you're not. You love Jesus and that's when you start to bear fruit. So the deeper and more widespread your roots of Christ and the greater fruit, the greater shade, and the greater beauty that you and I can provide, says one writer. So as we conclude today, what are, what are we to know? What are we, what are, you know, what are we to know? What are we to do? That's the standard thing that we should want to be able to leave church with. First of all, what we're to know is that the sufficiency of Christ brings comfort and encouragement. The sufficiency of Christ brings unity and love. The sufficiency of Christ brings the experience of full assurance. I know that I know that I know Jesus is my Lord and Savior. The sufficiency of Christ means in Him all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge are found. I don't have to look somewhere else. I don't have to add another book. I don't have to get some secret code. We also are to know that the enemy and false teachers want to derail your faith and they are actively working to do so. But you and I are complete in Christ, so we are to continue as we started. Stick with the plan. You can't go wrong. Here's a few suggestions from Chuck Swindoll about, you know, talking about having your roots. He's, 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 he entitled this application, Watering Your Roots. He said first, three things. He said first, once every week, affirm and encourage another believer. You know how you send out a text, and let somebody know you're praying for them? Maybe a phone call. Phone calls, people don't do phone calls anymore, I find. <laughs> it's like such an inconvenience phone call, right? <laughs> text me. We're all like that now, it seems. How about a, an email or just a friendly word to somebody once a week? Do that. Encourage another believer. Second, once a day, think of something which you're grateful and then tell the Lord about it. Thank Him for the food and the health and salvation and your friends and loved ones, all the riches that He's given you. And then third, He says, He suggests morning, noon, and night, pause and remind yourself that I am complete in Christ. I like that. My sins are forgiven. I'm going to heaven. I'm free from the eternal punishment of sin. I'll close with this. Kent Hughes wrote this. This is important. What you think of Christ, your conception of Him is everything. If you believe in Jesus Christ, that He is eternal without beginning and without end, that He always was continuing. If you believe that He is the creator of everything, every cosmic speck across across trillions of light years of trackless space. The creator of the textures and shapes and colors which daily dazzle your eyes. If you believe that He is the sustainer of all creation, the force which is presently holding the atoms of your body, your town, this universe together, and that without Him, all would dissolve. If you believe that He is the mystery, the incarnate reconciler, who will one day reconcile the universe and redeem humanity to Himself. If you believe that he is the lover of your soul, who loves you with a love bounded only by his infinitude, then despite the fact that life will be full of trouble, nothing much will go wrong. Your vision of Christ will quicken and shape your life. What you believe about Christ makes all the difference in the world now and in eternity. Heavenly Father, we thank you for our time together today and your word. Lord, we, just, we rejoice in the fact that we are complete and sufficient in you. If we could take away nothing else, we can know that we are complete in you and that we can draw comfort from our relationship with you and in you and through you. And you have provided everything we need. We have no other place that we need to look to enrich our lives in a way that matters for eternity. Lord, you are so complete. You are so full. You are so powerful and mighty in our lives. There isn't a place where we can look that you cannot be, Lord. You're with us. You're through us. You want to work through us. You hold all things together. We thank you, Lord, that you are majesty and you are Lord on high. As we conclude our service today Lord God as we sing a final closing song I would just simply ask Lord that you would just bless our hearts once again bless the families that are represented here today and those who could not be here we thank you Lord we love you and we want to express it now in song we pray this in Jesus name and all God's people said amen thank you for joining us today for Calvary Chapel Elizabeth City's online sermon series Join us next week as we continue through the Bible, book by book, verse by verse, line by line. God bless.